How are we doing? Awesome, awesome, awesome. I'm blessed to be here. And um, what we're going to talk about is very uh, important. And it's, um, it's one of those topics that uh, some enjoy, some don't always enjoy very much. But it's liberating. Amen. It's a topic that will set you free. And um, I just want you to receive this with, a, with an open heart. Um, just looking at... Let me see where I can start with you here. How many were, you, were here this whole weekend? Amen. I hope you were blessed. Amen. I had a good time, a very good time with you all. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Hallelujah. I'm going to be going to Proverbs chapter 3. Um, but before we begin there, I'm actually going to throw a curveball to my guys in the media because I told them I'll study Proverbs chapter 3. But let me read to you Proverbs chapter 4 first, then you and I will study Proverbs chapter 3. Amen. It be, Proverbs chapter 4 says, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, and the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words and keep my commands and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this get wisdom and whatever you get or in all your getting get understanding prize her highly and she will exalt you she will honor you if you embrace her she will place on your head a graceful garland and she'll bestow on you a beautiful crown hear my son and accept my words the whole reason why i'm reading this is simple i just want to point out that um what we call the proverbs or the wisdom of solomon is not really the wisdom of Solomon. It is the wisdom of Solomon's father, David. What Solomon wrote in the Proverbs were the words that his father taught him. When he was tender and the only one in the sight of his mother. So what you're reading when you read the Proverbs, you are reading the wisdom of David. David himself never left, you know, um, a book. He left the Psalms. He wrote the Psalms. But he never wrote what we might call wisdom literature. He left it to his son to capture his wisdom. David knew God in a very special way. He knew God in a way that was different than any of his other contemporaries. And the beautiful thing in this instance is that he passed this wisdom on to his son who was going to rule in his place. It's with that understanding that we must approach every proverb, understanding it is the instruction David gave his son. Are we okay? With that in mind, let us look at, because you see, so many times people want a man's success without understanding the process that men had to walk to gain that success. 
Everybody wants certain people's results. They just don't care to uncover the process that gave them the results. It's like going to a farmer and wanting his harvest without ever wanting to know the period since he planted, watered, weeded. You don't care about the process, just, just give me the harvest. But right now we want to find out the road that David took. You see, Solomon was born rich. He was born as the son of a king. He was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He was born loved and embraced by his parents. When Solomon was born, and I can give an example in my own home. I was born on the 2nd of February, 1973. My dad was a junior police officer in the Rhodesian, it was at that time called the British South African Police. When I was born, my dad was a constable, the lowest rank. And then through my life, my father was one of the few police officers in my country that hit every single rank until he got to almost at the top where he was assistant commissioner in the whole nation. So we learned something there because you see, I was born on the 2nd of February when my dad had nothing. We all lived in a two uh, bedroom, really two room, one bedroom but two, two rooms. So my sisters and I used to sleep on the floor of the living room. And my parents had the bedroom. And it wasn't a double bed, it was a, just a, a regular size bed. And when my cousins would visit, they'll sleep on the floor with us. Then my dad decided that he was going to get a piece of land. So he got a piece of land in an area called Buhera, in the villages. And he built a hut and my mom and my sisters lived in that hut while my dad lived in the city as a police officer. And we used to see him once a month when he used to bring groceries. And he used to come and spend a weekend with us when they had some time off once a month. So growing up in the village, we were sleeping on a dirt floor that was covered in cow dung. That's how the Africans did it. They, they paired the floors with cow dung. Smells good. To this day, if I pass by a farm, I'm like, oh God, the memories. But my siblings, the youngest in our family, that age difference between me and the youngest is 17 years. When they were born, my dad was a senior assistant commissioner in the country. He was running the main police training depot in the country. We lived almost next door to State House where the president lived. Many pictures of my father with the president of the nation. He was the main cop training all the other police officers. He was the depot commandant. We lived in a beautiful little mini mansion, 24 hour guard. So the experience of my siblings is where we ended up is where they began. So you see, it's easy for them to get confused about how we got there. What I learned from my father was the value of hard work. Because I saw him work from a constable wearing the lowest uniform to wearing the black hat sitting next to the president. So there's certain things that Solomon will never know because he was born rich. He can only know by listening to his father who began as a poor man living amongst the sheep. 
So when this old man speaks, the son paid attention. And here is what the old man told him. Verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your bonds will be filled with plenty. And your vats will overflow with new wine. This is not a lesson from a man born rich. This is the wisdom of a father who began in the lowest place in Israel. And rose to the highest place in Israel. Just so that these kids don't get confused. About how they got to where they got to. David said, I'm going to share with you my secret. I did not start giving to God when I was rich. I honored the Lord all my life when I had little. That's why my barns were filled with plenty. And my vats overflow with new wine. He taught his son the value of giving to God. I get tired of seeing people that are already wealthy, born wealthy, talk about, yeah, you know, you should give so God can bless you. I was like, you were blessed before you gave. <laughs> Let me talk to your dad. He's a good pastor friend of mine um, in, 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 in the local area. And, and they've done very well for themselves. And, and whenever I find people that, especially when it comes to wealth, people that are extremely prosperous, I always ask the back question because there's always a story. And I asked, I said, before you had all this, can you tell me the story? So I spoke to that particular family, my, the, the, the wife's father. And he says, man, I was uh, in the government in India, a junior officer. He says, I didn't have transportation but a bicycle. Whenever I got my paycheck, the first thing I did was take out 10% and ride to the pastor's house. Before I touched it, before I spent it on myself, before I bought anything, I took out God's portion and I went to pastor's house and I made sure I left the 10% in his hands. Then I used the rest of my family, never knowing that God will eventually prosper me as he has. There is no secret to success. We're talking about finances today in case you haven't noticed. But particularly finances in regards to, now, now, most people here, the greatest pressure you're probably going to face in recently is going to be economic pressure of some kind. Business pressure, one way or the other. We spend all these hours in the marketplace, not because we are, we are not nurses because it's a hobby. We are nurses because we've got children at home that we need to feed. Children that need to go to college. We've got responsibilities. Most of us parents, we work not because it's fun. If we want to do what's fun, we would have been in Cabo. But we work because there's a necessity. So let me tell you that one of the most sacred things you do is to work. And money is sacred before God because it's a representation of the hours you spend in the marketplace exchanging solutions for a monetary value. How then do you manage your finances in a way that enables you to tap into heaven's economy? David taught his son the secret to David's success. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your increase. And my boy, you may not know the systems. You may not know this. You may not have gone to college. I never went to college. I lived among the sheep. But honor the Lord with your, with, with 
your substance and with the first fruit of all your increase, then your barns will be filled with plenty. What's your barns? Wherever you store, what sustains you? Your IRA, your savings accounts. Those are your, our modern day barns, right? You collect, you get, you get harvest, you put some aside in case something happens, you put that aside. It says, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. The secret to heaven's economy has got to do with identifying what portion of your wealth you're going to give to God. Because part of what you own is actually not yours. It belongs to the Lord. When you identify God's portion, you tap into God's blessing. This message gets very uncomfortable because a lot of people have seen the talk on finances as a message that was abused by the church, by some fancy preacher that wanted to take something from you. So a lot of people have decided to keep quiet about what is really a very vital message. You have to have revelation. For some of us, you say, but Felix, I've tithed and I've given. Why don't I seem to have a breakthrough? Because revelation is the key to breakthrough. I hope that you understand the biblical foundation. So if your eyes can open, you can access it. Are we okay? I'll take you to the book of Genesis chapter 4 to the beginning of it all. Something interesting happens in Genesis chapter 4. Now Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore Cain and says, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain was a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fed portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was angry. Now, this story has always broken my heart for a variety of reasons, not least of which is why it breaks my heart is I see the heart of Cain. Many times we preach against him, but he was the first man ever recorded that tried to give God something. The first human being in the history of our species that ever initiated a gift to God was Cain. There was no record that Adam and Eve ever tried to give God anything. Cain, in the record of human history, according to the scripture, was the first man to offer God something. And God said no. It's okay. I don't want it. Abel, his brother, offered the first things. And God received his gift. Which makes me ask students like us, disciples like us, the question, why do you think God rejected Cain's offering but accepted Abel's? Why do you think? Let's talk. It's a Bible study. His heart was not right. I've preached that as well before, my brother, that his heart was not right. It's quite possible, actually. Very, very, very key. But it may not be all there is to the story. So we'll put that on point number one. What else do you think? It's not the, it's not the first portion. Okay. That's a good one as well. And we're going to discuss and unpack why that might be possible. Anybody else? Mm -hmm. It could have been that they were taught by their parents and they didn't obey. It's a supposition. We don't have too much evidence in scripture, but we'll, yeah, it could have been. It could have been one was an obedient child, one was not. But we're going to find out that maybe not and maybe yes. Someone else? Some kind of teaching was probably given as to how 
Some kind of teaching was probably given. We know it was not recorded in the scripture. Great supposition, but it's totally hypothetical at this point, which is what it should be. We're talking. Anybody else? What do you think? What's that? Abel brought an offering with a revelation. How do we know that? But how do we know it was by revelation? He was a keeper of sheep. Each one brought based on their work, right? Cain used to look after the ground. He brought from his work. Abel looked, used to look after sheep. He brought from his work. So each one just brought a gift from their particular method of farming. Good idea, though. You're warm. Not quite there, but almost there. Somebody else. Without blood, there's no redemption. But who said this was a redemptive offering? Because, you know, you could have a wave offering, you could have a wheat offering. David poured to God a drink offering. He poured water as an offering to God. And in fact, you might be surprised that when Elijah, <laughs> um, up on Mount Carmel, it wasn't, the sacrifice was not, the offering was not just the animal. The water he poured was a sacrifice. You know why? Because there had been a drought for three years. Water was rare. So, David poured a drink offering. You're allowed to have a wave offering where you take wheat and you wave it before the Lord. So I've heard that and I've preached that. But the fact that it was not blood is not, is not entirely the only reason. You could offer God stuff that was not blood before. What else do you think? Abel brought the best. Hmm, I like that. Why? Attitude? Faith? Who says faith? Why do you say faith? <laughs> You're actually right, but why do you say faith? I, want you, I don't want you to back up your points by a feeling. I want you to back up your points by scripture. Why do we say faith? What does it say? By faith, Abel brought a more excellent sacrifice. Well, how does faith come? And hearing by what? That means what? And if he heard, what had he done before the word was released? Quite possible, or what? Starts with an A. And an S. Ask! What can I give you? What can I render unto you, my God? We know God spoke to these boys directly. How do we know? The Lord was talking to Cain directly. Saying, I don't want your gift. These men enjoyed one-on-one -on -one conversation with God. So therefore, how did Abel know what to offer? Chances are that he asked. Why? Because he gave by faith. And how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God so it means that Abel inquired Lord help me identify the gift that you desire and the word was released not that one not that one not that one that one are we okay you offered it by faith because faith is not an abstract concept. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That means that somebody positioned themselves to hear God. 
until the father identified the gift that moves him. And only when the boy knew the gift that moves the father did he offer him. So what did the Lord reveal to Abel? That that which is first and that which is best belongs to me. That was the first expression of the gift of what we call the sacred portion. Are we okay? There's a sacred portion in giving. It's a portion that belongs to God. It's a revelation that took centuries to unfold. It started with Abel. And then it began to expand in Abraham. The, the, the anointing or the, the revelation of giving God what belongs to God. We go to the book of Genesis chapter 14. Can we go there? Are we okay? David, please be happy. All your answers were correct, by the way. Great, great. A plus, A plus, everyone. Amen. Good stuff. Mm. From verse 17, after his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shavez, that is the valley of kings. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham by the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to, uh, to, 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 to Abraham, give me the persons but take the goods for yourself. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand so to the Lord most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal or anything that is yours, lest you say, I have made Abraham rich. Watch this. Abraham's nephew, Lot, had moved from staying with his uncle to the cities of the plain near Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, there was a raid from several kings that fought against the local king where Lot was. And they captured Lot and took him into captivity. Word came to his uncle, Abram, your nephew has been taken by the kings of Sodom. So Abram went to 300 militia, fighting men. He had trained in his own house and he went to war against five kings. When Abraham had victory over these five kings, he brought all the spoils. This is like you going and fighting in the marketplace and then bringing all the spoils of your exploits in the marketplace at your job. But as Abraham was journeying back, he met a mysterious man. This man is so mysterious that he's further referred to in the book of Hebrews. His name is mysterious because his name is Melchi. Melchi means king. Sedek means righteousness. His name is the king of righteousness. The Bible says he's the king of Shalom, of Salem, the king of ancient Jerusalem. And calls him the priest of the most high God. Now watch this. Abraham is a friend of God. He's a man of God. Abraham is a man of faith. As Abraham is walking, he sees this mysterious figure come out of nowhere and begin to release a blessing. Blessed are you, Abraham of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be El Elyon, God Most High, who has given the enemy into your hands. 
Abraham knew exactly how to respond to that because Abraham is the father of faith. Something in him kicks. Cut out 10% and give him. One out of 10 of everything you have, you have to give to him. Was there a preaching about tithing? Nobody had preached it. Was the law of tithing existing? It did not exist. Was there any written law of God? There was no Bible. There was no Tanakh or Old Testament. It didn't exist. It wasn't written yet. How did he know? The father of faith knew. I have got to take one out of ten of everything I have. And I have got to give it. Because these are the spoils of war. And he honored Melchizedek with ten. Did Melchizedek say, oh, I didn't know. You know, He just accepted it. Why? Because Abraham was walking in divine revelation. Because the Lord was unfolding the mystery of the sacred portion. The mystery of tapping into divine economy. How do we know? Because the king of Sodom comes to him and says, I'm going to bless you and make you rich. And Abraham says, I don't need your system to get wealthy. I will not take a sandal from you. I will not take one one thing from you. Lest you say you made me rich. If I'm going to get wealthy, sir, I'm going to do it by God's economy. And he began this mystery of the amazing sacred portion. I've argued with Christians many times before about giving. And a lot of people don't understand the power of the tithe. Some people split their tithe and send it to 10 different places. The tithe should not be split. It should be whole. That's why the Bible says in, what, in the book of Malachi, bring you all the tithe into the storehouse that there might be meat in my house. The tithe is not an expression of your generosity because it doesn't even belong to you. That's why the Bible never says give the tithe. It always says bring the tithe. The principle is that if you are wise, you will know that in everything you have, God has placed something that belongs to him. And your wisdom is to identify God's portion and to honor him with what belongs to him. Then the Lord says, I know you are paying attention. Most of us have enriched ourselves by eating what belongs to God. But the ancient ones understood, one out of ten of everything I have is not mine. And when he gave it to Melchizedek or brought it to Melchizedek, Melchizedek didn't say, you are so generous. I can't believe you. He just took it because he knew it did not belong to Abraham. Abraham had begun the walk in the, one of the mightiest revelations on this planet is the revelation of the sacred portion. Is the revelation of the 20, 10%. Now watch this. We then go to the book of Genesis chapter 28. Are we doing okay? <laughs> we meet the man Jacob. Genesis chapter 28, my, my bad. Did I say Exodus? Let's go to Genesis. From verse 10, and Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones, he put it under his bed and he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of the Lord were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord God stood above it and he said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of your father, uh, Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you. 
into your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in it, and your offspring shall be, uh, and in it, in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I'll bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have done. Then Jacob awoke up from this sleep and said, "Surely the Lord is everywhere." Is that what he said? He said what? Surely the Lord is in this place. What is he doing? He's identifying a location. Surely the Lord is in this place. This is none other than the gateway to heaven. It is none other than Bethel, than the house of God. Now when Jacob mentioned that, you must understand, the concept of God having a house was only beginning to come as a revelation. These were nomadic people that had no settled settlement. They moved from place to place in tents. But when Jacob got up from that ground, he identified a piece of ground. The land was called Luz, L-U-Z. Bethel renamed it, rather, Jacob renamed it Bethel, the house of God. Because he said, surely the Lord is in this. It was a prophetic word concerning the church that was to come many, many centuries later. A location called this place. He called it the house of God. How, what is the church? It's the place where a ladder exists. That touches the earth and reaches the heavens. What, what, what ladder is that? What is that ladder? Does anybody know? Prayer? Okay. Prayer takes place at the ladder. But the ladder is not prayer. What is that ladder? Jesus, how do you know? Remember I, to, I told you, back up everything with scripture? You said Jesus. How do you know? What's that? I'm the way, the truth, and nobody comes to the way. That's a good scripture, but there's another one. What's that? Mediator between us and God. Wonderful concept. But there's a direct scripture that refers to that. Anybody? The gate of heaven. I'm the gateway to the fall. Nice. But there's a better scripture than that even. I'm the way, nice, but there's a better one than that. Let's see if we can find it. John chapter 6. I think this is John chapter 6. I think. Let's see if we can find it. Are we doing okay? All right, all right, all right. <laughs> Are you learning something? I hope I'm not boring you. Let's see who can find it. Read it out loud. When you find it, read it. It's a beautiful one, but it's not the one. It's a lovely one, but it's not the one. Come on, people. What does it say? Read it out loud, please. I said if you find it, read. I said if you find it, read it out loud. Uh-huh. Mm. 
<laughs> okay, nice, but not the one. What does your Malayalam version say, my brother? <laughs> you guys don't have Google? Say it. Did you find it? What's that? What does it say? That's a nice one, but it's not the one. Do you know why it's not the one? Because it's actually John chapter 1. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 1. <laughs> John chapter 1, and can somebody please read verse 51? Listen, the whole reason why I want you to say, I, I can give you scripture and verse, it ends up in your Bible, you forget it. As a student, get engaged and find answers. Amen. Don't back up scripture by what you think. Back up scripture by scripture. What does John chapter 1 verse 51 say? On the Son of Man. So the one time we see heaven opening, the Father speaking, and the angels of God ascending and descending. Jesus says that someday you're going to see, you know what, heaven open, and the angels of God, what, ascend and descend upon whom? Upon the Son of Man. So he is the ladder of Jacob. But what has Jacob's ladder got to do with Christ, got to do with the church? This is why Jesus says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. To do what? As a ladder to where? Into heaven. So where do we gather in his name? We have gathered at Zion today on Arapaho. So what does that mean? That this is identified. Listen to me. This property is sacred before God. It's not a small thing. Because we gather by no, we did not gather in the name of a denomination. We did not gather in the name of a race. Never do that. We do not gather in the name of a, of a you know, a, a, just a, a doctrinal leaning. We gather in the name of Jesus. Why? Because when we do that, it creates a place that is called this place. And it's called none other but than Bethel, the house of God. And in that place, the promise that Christ gave is where two or more are gathered together in my name. There I am as a ladder in the midst of them. So when you worship, what happens? The angels ascend and descend upon the Son of God, taking your worship into heaven. When you pray, what happens? The angels ascend and descend on the Son of Man, taking it into heaven. That's what he means when he says, I am the gate. I am the portal. I am the access point. And that's why you never discourage the gathering of the saints, because it creates the gateway into heaven because when Christ shows up, he shows up as Jacob's ladder. Now watch this though. Watch this. Let's see what happened to Jacob. Turn back to Genesis chapter 28. My goodness, my time is free. But we got time. Verse 18. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it upon the pillar and poured oil on it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in his way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear. What is he saying? Prosper me, Lord. Don't let me be destitute. Let me be provided for. And how does he tag that desire for provision? 
He taps it into something that his upper chan had done. Watch this. This is what he says. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And now notice this. That day he had a revelation of the house of God is a day he spoke of the revelation of the portion of God. And of everything that you give me, I will give you a tenth. In regards to what? In regards to your, your outreach ministry, no. In regards to this place, which is Bethel, which is the house of God. This pillar, that this stone that you gave me, that I rested on, shall become the cornerstone for the house of God. And everything that you bless me with, Father, I vow I will give you 10%. Why do you think Jacob say that? Where do you think he learned that from? Why did he not identify 12%? Why 10? Why do you think? He learned from his Abijan, right? From his, from his grandfather. How do you know? He stayed with him with Isaac for how long? How old was Abraham when he had Isaac? 100 years old. How old was Isaac when he had Jacob and Esau? No? 60 years old. How old was Abraham when he died? 175. So how long was the aperture in the life of his, of his grandkids? 15 years. So where did... And how do we know Abraham taught Jacob about the tithe? It's also in scripture. Book of Hebrews? No? What's that? Where do we find that? Hebrews 11, what does it say? Exactly. Which chapter? But you're right on. Let's go to chapter 18 of the book of Genesis. We're almost done. You're doing well, uncle. Great job, you guys. This is what the class is supposed to be, right? We're all talking and we're all learning. I wish I had more time to teach this because this is vital and this is important. I usually teach this, by the way, in more than one session, uh, pastor. So next time you don't give me 40 minutes to teach on the tithe. It's a whole, because I'll take you from Genesis, I'll take you through Jericho, through everything, through everything. It goes right through the scriptures. It's a powerful concept. Amen. So let's go to Genesis chapter 18 because I want you to know, have the revelation from scripture so you don't think some African preacher is trying to take your mind. I'm not interested in what you have to give me. But I'm interested in you having a revelation of the sacredness of the tithe. Because some of you tithe, but you don't have a revelation. And some of you don't have a revelation, so sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. And you don't understand that you are failing to tap into the divine economy of God. This, this economy will change everything. It taps you into an economy that has got nothing to do with the American economy. Or I could tell you story after story of poor Africans that were supplied for in the middle of a drought. When everybody else lost their crops, they did not lose their crops. I'm not talking about stories I read. I'm talking about people we worked with. This works. So here's the thing. From verse 22. So when the men turned around in Genesis chapter 18 and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood, then Abraham drew near and said, we'll, no, 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 let's go even further than that. 
verse 16. Then the men set out and they looked toward Sodom and Abraham went with them. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. For I have chosen him. Why have I chosen him? That he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. One of the reasons why Abraham was chosen was because God knew he would teach his children. He would teach his grandchildren well. It was the reason for his selection. So it's not by accident that Jacob knows that the tenth is not his. His grandfather told him. And it's not because his grandfather did it once. It's because it became a practice in their home. 400 years before Moses put it into law. Four centuries. One of the dilemmas that took place when missionaries came to Africa, you know what it was? They raised their money in the United States and they asked our people, they told our people, it's okay, you don't have to give. The Americans will give. So what happens? The Americans got very blessed and we stayed poor. <laughs> Do you remember in the old country when you used to put copper coins in the offering? My parents used to give me two cents, two cents. Two cents. For some of you, you give your kids George Washington. Dollar. What's that? Right? Eggs and rice. It's 10%. It's 10%. It belongs to God. And where does 10% go? It doesn't go to arbitrary. It goes to the house of God. The place where you, the harvest of God is stored. What is the house of God? What is the storehouse? It's the place where the souls of God are kept stored until he comes back for them that's why the local church is one of the most important places on the earth today you have to esteem the things that god esteems you want to be blessed you've got to honor god with what belongs to god i wish i had time to tell you a story i do have eight minutes i'm gonna take them so when i was in africa you see i learned this early because when my mother became saved whenever she would tithe she would say father remember my son in the ministry lord provide for him lord anoint him Whenever she would get, and she was not, you see, my mom, she had her own little income outside of my dad. It was from the little bit of business that she would do. She didn't make much, but the little bit that she made, 10% of that, we did not eat. It belonged to God. The first thing she did when she had her supply was to go to the house of God to say, now this belongs to God. And I began to experience blessing. When I, when I got into the, in, into the corporate world to work, what should have taken four years, I was promoted in nine months. What should have taken between four and five years, nine months. In school, promoted. Everywhere I went, promoted. I go to a brand new place where nobody knows my name. That's what I did when I went to Putnam, Connecticut. A black man from Africa who's 25 years old. I go to Putnam, Connecticut, which is a predominantly white neighborhood in, 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 middle, in middle America, Northeast America. I decide to plant a church within a year. We have grown from nothing to almost 1,800. 25-year-old. I had people that were married for 60 years that used to sit in my congregation. And they looked at me as a 26-year-old and called me pastor. Not because there's anything special about it, but because there was a blessing that covers you. Why? Because I tapped into a whole other economy entirely. Came to the Northeast with nothing but the clothes on my, in, in my suitcase. I gave everything away when I left Bible college. I mean everything. I gave computers away, gave my car away, gave everything that I owned away. Packed a bag full of clothes and went to the Northeast to begin to lay a groundwork for a ministry. Never gone hungry, been supplied for beautifully by the hand of God. 
because operating at another economy, because I learned from an old lady back home the value of giving, particularly the value of tithing. Most people that I know that have a financial struggle of some kind, I can trace it to the tithe. I can trace it to the tithe. You were on, under a squeeze. Things were not w- looking well. You calculated. You could not see how you could remove a tithe. And you ate a tithe. And what you were doing was that you were eating that which belongs to God. And I'm telling you this. 100% will not go as far as 90. That 90% goes further because you tapped into divine economies. Yes, sir. Uh, Paul brought 14 epistles. Mm-hmm. Why Paul never brought about the tithe? Because it was already Jewish practice. Yeah. Yeah. Like in Macedonia, here and there, Paul saying on the first day of the week, whatever you can put aside, bring that to the storehouse so that that can be sent to this What you must understand about Paul amongst. Yeah, what you must understand about Paul is because there's already a foundation of it in Scripture. These were not Gentiles, these were Jews. It was a practice within Jews. And in fact, when you look at the practice within New Testament Jews, the tithe was a given. Here's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. You, tithe, you, you, know, you give tithe of A, B, C, D, E, and you neglect all the other ordinances. This you should have done, but also paid attention to the others. It was given. There were synagogue-going Jews. The places where Paul would go, even when he was going to the Gentile world, was first find a synagogue, right? And then he would preach from there. It was already culture. It had already been established all the way from Genesis. So that's what Christians do though. But then you, when we say that, we can look at a number of things that are never discussed in the New Testament because they're already covered in the Tanakh. They're already part of the culture. It was already not argument amongst Jews, including the Jews today. Nobody has to preach to them anew. It was already part of who they were. So when Jesus rebuked the Pharisees, he says, you tithe, but you neglect the other portions. This you should have done. Meaning you should have done the tithe, obviously. You're, that's what you do. But you neglected the other things as well, meaning you did that in exclusion for the other good things that you're supposed to do. That's the difference, uncle. It was a given. It was a given that was established before the law came. So it's not even a Levitical ordinance. It became a Levitical ordinance 400 years after it was established in the life of Abraham and in the life of Jacob. That's the difference. And when you trace it, you will find this. The whole dilemma about Jericho. What was the dilemma about Jericho? The dilemma about Jericho was that it was the first city in the land of promise. So what did the Lord say? Everything that comes from that first city must go into the treasury of the house of God. You cannot partake of it. First city in the land of promise. That was God's portion. So what did they do? They tempered through Achan with God's portion and they could not get their inheritance because they were in violation of of a lifelong ordinance in God. It's a principle we can never circumvent. Let me give you a story. So I'm working amongst the poorest people in Africa, uncle. I'm working, one of the ladies, let me give an example. I'll give a, a blind beggar. His name was Luke Mutomera in my country, right? I used to bless Luke. I used to provide for his family. I used to give to his children until one morning I'm in prayer and I came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And here's what the conviction of the Holy Spirit said to me. Why do you hate that man? I was like, I don't hate him. Lord, I pay for his children's school fees. I pay for the food that he eats. I look after, he was a blind beggar that used to take the bus every week to spend the weekend with me at my home. And the Lord says, why have you not taught him the reason why you are walking in blessing? So here's the story of Luke Mutomera, a blind beggar. You know how he made his money? By shaking a cup of coins 
on the street sides of, Zim, of, of Chirese, Zimbabwe. I went to Luke Mutomera and I said, sir, I need to tell you something, my brother. You need to learn to tithe. He looked, you know, he was blind. He says, Felix, how can you say that to me? I've got nothing. I don't own anything. Uh, the little bit that I, I try to help my family is I've been on the side of the street sometimes for, for, for hours and hours and got nothing. I said, sir, I don't know. All I know is that it's a biblical principle. Watch this. My youth heard me say that to him. So they came up to me and said, Pastor Felix, here's what we will do. On Saturday night at our youth meeting, we're going to take an offering for Brother Luke. And when we take that offering, we're going to cut out 10% and ask him to give off that. We will activate that blessing for his life. What happens? Saturday night, we took that, that collection. We take the collection. Look, for the first time, a blind beggar in the streets of Zimbabwe gives us 10%. I don't see Luke for about six months. I thought I'd offended him. I thought maybe, Lord, I'm sorry. If I offended my brother, I did not mean to. I want to speak the truth that sets people free. For six months, I don't see Luke Mutomera. But here's also what happened. Let me just tell the story because it's important. When the kids took the offering to give to him, they also had a sports jacket that they gave him. It fit him perfectly. Because he used to walk barefoot, they'd found gum boots, waterproof boots, that were his size, and they gave those to him, and they fit perfectly. Six months later, I get a knock on my door, six o'clock in the morning. I go and open the door, and it's Luke Mutomer. But he's got a cart full of produce. Black-eyed peas, corn, watermelon, everything. He's got a, and he said, what are you doing? He says, man of God, I've come to give my tithe. I said, tell me your story. He says, your God, I'm so sorry that I, that I, said, I thought what I thought about you. But when I went home, when those kids gave me and I tithed for the first time, I went back to my village. I had been to his house. It was a little shack that was filled with lice. I prayed for his little boy that was dying of whooping cough with a little stomach like this from Kwashioko. The most deplorable, and I grew up in poverty, but that was poverty I'd never seen before. Because the whole time I was in his hut, I was like this. I was getting beaten by lice. So even as I'm teaching him, I don't know how God can work it, except the fact that it's the Bible. So I said, what happened? He says, I was so filled with the spirit of generosity when I went back to the village. He says, remember that suit jacket, that sports coat, and, 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 and the gumboots those kids gave me. I said, yes. He says, you see, I don't need boots because I don't use a stick when I walk as a blind man. I fill the street with my feet. So I felt the Lord telling me to go and give that to the local chief. He was filled with the spirit of generosity. One was always receiving for the first time. He went to the local chief and then said, sir, try this jacket on. Fit the chief perfectly. Try these boots on. They fit him perfectly. And he says, I just want to bless you with them. The chief could not sleep that night. Goes back to Luke's house the next day and says, listen, I've never had anything like this happen. That a blind beggar would ever give me anything. And I need you to know that I have a piece of land between 15 and 20 acres. It's right by a creek. I baptized Luke's family in that river. It's right by a slope. It's right by a creek. If you want that land, that land is yours. Now watch what happened. That rain season. The rain comes, and there was too much rain. Anyone that plants corn knows when you get waterlogging, you lose your plant. But because it was on a gradient that fed into the creek, it drained perfectly. He had a bumper harvest. And coming from abject poverty, he was the one who was feeding that entire community. He comes back and knocks on my door to apologize for fighting me when I taught him on the tide and to bring the produce from his land and says, this is now the land. I want you to come and see it. I went on that land. He owns more land than I ever owned in Africa. And I baptized his family in that land. That's story number one. I got ten more like that. 
It's Bible. It's more than just a requirement. It's a principle. And it works. Ah, let me throw one more for good measure. I'll talk to you about Betty. You see, Betty, we, we prayed for Betty. She got healed of AIDS. You understand? But Betty was the lady that used to sweep the floor in our church. Okay, she used to live in a place called Tovani, which was the poorest section of our little area. Tovani, she lived in an unfinished house. What I mean by that is this. There were windows, but no, 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 no window pane, no glasses. Right? There was a top or tent for a roof, but it didn't cover the whole house. So whenever it rained, Betty and her family had to go to the corner and rain would pour in. We tried to hold a Bible study in that it was abject poverty. Her husband had been in the Zimbabwean liberation struggle, was suffering from PTSD. The whole time I knew uncle, I'd only ever heard him say two or three words. He was always like this, quiet. Betty used to, even though when she was a Christian, she used to climb under an electric fence to go and steal firewood. And give from that, from, then from that firewood is what she used to supply for her family. And the little bit of money we used to give her for sweeping the floor at the church. We didn't need her to do that. We're trying to help her. And the Lord confronted me to go and teach her the same thing. Teach her how to tithe. How do you tell a poor person like that, that she, she can give? It feels like it's the most horrible thing ever. I felt like Elijah asking a widow to give from her last meal. But it's the principle from the word of God. And you can no, never circumvent it. So I said to Betty the same thing. Betty, you need to learn how to tithe. Pastor Felix, I don't know how. What can I do? I, 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 how am I supposed? What do I give? I've got nothing. I said, the little that you have from the payment from the church, just try the Lord. Test him. For the first time in her life, this woman who's got stories to tell you about how she almost got caught, you know, under an electric fence, how she was out, like, in, in, she had to stand in one position because there were soldiers that were guarding a farm and she was getting bitten by, she had stories to tell. Gave for the first time, gave her tenth for the first time, shaking because she didn't know where it would come from. Out of nowhere, the Zimbabwean government comes up and says, writes her a letter, within a month, a month and a half, apologizing. Because it says, your husband fought in the war, but we never paid him. And we owe him money. And we're going to give him 50 grand, $50,000, for his efforts for the war. And for the rest of his life, we're going to take care of him and his family. I just heard from a son right now, who's now a mechanic in South Africa. They write to me every time to thank me for teaching them the simple principles I'm trying to tell you. You can fight on this, but it's not me you're fighting. You'll be fighting the principles of the word of God. That's true out of many stories. It works. Why I talk about this so passionately is because I, that's where I was, my work was amongst the poorest of the poor. And I do not withhold from teaching them the principles that breaks the spirit of poverty. 10% is not ours. It belongs to him. There is a portion that belongs to God in the midst of that which belongs to you. The wisest amongst us will find what belongs to God and give that to him. And a friend of mine, not some, a little while back, just before the collapse of the real estate industry, him and his wife were pulling in almost $40,000 a month, 40 grand, because she was doing loans and he was in real estate, the real estate boom, and he didn't tithe. And I remember telling him, my brother, you know, you should, ah, no, Felix, he says, how much do you make? I said, you know what, I may not make as much as you, but when I need it, it's always there, my brother. I've never gone hungry. Never gone hungry. Never gone without. They had just bought an investment property worth over a million dollars in Colorado. They're pulling in 40 grand a month, and here I am trying to teach him to tithe, and he's looking at me and saying, who do you think you are? What do you have? 
that you think you can teach me this. So here's what happens. The real estate market collapses. They are about to lose their house. There was the partners that when they were involved in that investment property are fighting now. And he had started a Bible study in his house. He was a Christian guy. And he was talking to me and maybe I need to downsize. Maybe I need to do this. And I went and I walked in his home and I was praying for him and saying, Father, please help me help him. And I felt the Lord saying they don't have to lose their house. Just do the right thing. So I told him, I said, him and his wife, hardworking, she was a Filipino, hardworking. I said, my brother, just do the right thing. Just do the right thing. Try God. Try his way. Right? Felix, I don't know. We cannot make the payments. And right now I'm unemployed and all of this. And he was just starting a little company doing roofing for insurance companies. Whenever there was a hailstorm, he would do the roofs. Struggling. Wife was a nurse. Now having to double time just to be able to, to make it. I said, why don't you try God's way, man? You've been fighting for, against me for years. They stepped into that realm. And all of a sudden, they get a letter from the bank that says, listen, you don't have to leave the house. Stay in the house until we're able to negotiate a better, a better deal for you. They stayed in that house rent-free, mortgage-free for about three and a half years. I'm talking about a, a million-dollar property in Denver. After three and a half years, the bank came back and renegotiated that, that loan to 350000 By that time, they could well afford it. He was pulling in forty grand, thinking he's doing better than God. But I know that any house you build not on the principles of God is subject to shaking, is subject to the world, global economy. It may stand for a long time and you may brag on it, but it can come down. He taps into God's economy. And, and, and that's when I said, watch what the Lord has done. Do you think it's coincidental? Because then it's coincidental for you, for Luke Mutomera, for Betty, for other guys, for, for, for uh, uh, Wilson Muchena, other individuals whose story I can tell you. Honor the Lord, David said with your wealth, with the first fruits. That's what the tithe and the, and the first fruits were tied in the same principle of all your increase. And by so doing, not because it's law, but because it's principle. He says what? Your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. That's the word. Are we good? Are we? What's the next thing you do? Do it. Try it. If it doesn't work, Say Felix lied to us. Try it. I dare you. Try it his way. Let's all stand, please. Let's all stand. God bless you all.